All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nears? What the fuck sticks? What the fuck delics? What the fuckaholics? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Today on the show, Alex Karpovsky from Girls. Yeah, that guy. Actually, the season finale of Girls is on uh, next Sunday, and I'm on it in another scene with Alex. So that's exciting. He's going to be right here in the garage talking to us. Yeah, the guy who plays Ray. Some of you saw the scene I had with him a couple weeks ago where I took umbrage. But uh, but yeah, we got another little bit coming up at the end, I guess. Maybe they'll bring me back. I don't know. But it was great talking to Alex. Got an interesting story. So that'll happen in a few minutes after I do this thing. You know this thing. If you hear some noise in the background, it's my neighbor. He's hammering away on something. He's in a little... Well, uh, discomfort over there. There's a, I guess, a sewer line problem, and I'm starting to wonder whether or not that's what's been causing the smell up here on the slope for the last year or so. Something back in there, so maybe that'll uh, magically disappear. It's weird when you live uh, on a uh, in an area where there's sort of an uh, an unexplainable uh, smell of sewage that kind of happens at random times during the day, and it's got nothing to do with your house. It's disconcerting. And then uh, a plumber says, yeah, well, you know, if you live on a hill, all, all houses have vents that vent the sewage line. So sometimes that comes uphill on you. And I'm like, I never heard of that. I don't even know if it's true. I'm just, I'm hoping to God that maybe it was something next door. I'm sad that he's going through that, but maybe it's going to, maybe, who knows? Maybe the, the, the weird um, mystical smell of sewage that randomly takes over the, the area will, will now recede after he does whatever he's doing over there. Now, again, my heart goes out to him. Shitty to have a house that starts to, you know, right when you get everything just the way you want it, boom, you got a, you, you've got a room full of uh, poop or something like that. Never ends. My house, I think, is falling into the, it's, it's being eaten by the ground. I was going to do some work on it. I was going to renovate. I was going to add on. I was going to make it a whole different house. And like just telling you that, just telling you that just now has gotten me racked with anxiety and uh, and overwhelmed and I'm and tired. I just need to do something because there are parts of it that are literally falling apart and that's how I'm living and I don't need to live like that. Am I right? Am I right? Still off the nicotine lozenges, getting a, getting a little sick, but I think that's because we wrapped Marin season three on Friday. We did it. Uh, I, I spent the entire day Friday directing uh, the last part of my episode that I wrote and uh, directed. It was very thrilling. It was an amazing crew. It's really an amazing thing to be involved in a process. Obviously, you know, I had a lot to do with everything. The writing, the producing, and even some directing, but, uh, you know, and the acting. But there, is an, you know, there are just all different levels of production crew. There, there's gaffers, there's ADs, there's second ADs, there's the... Um, Sound guy, there's producers, line producers, uh, uh, you know, locations. I mean, it's it, transportation. It's a, a big undertaking. And I got to tell you, man, everybody in the Marin team, and we had a lot of new people this year, were just amazing. Like it was, not only was it painless, but it was it was fun. And it felt like we made something, hair and makeup, uh, amazing. Wardrobe, spectacular. It was just incredible. I had an amazing time, and I don't get to appreciate or really, you know, notice a lot 
you know, when I'm in it, because all I'm doing is, you know, we're doing nine to 13 pages a day and I'm just trying to keep my head filled with lines. We don't barely have rehearsal time at the schedule we're on. We've got it. We're on a schedule. We're doing one episode every three days. There's no time for table reads. There's no time for thorough rehearsing with actors. So it's a, I don't know what people would do in, in that production schedule if they could not memorize lines. I just have sort of a facility for it, but I would love to have more time to rehearse. And I think it could be even an even you know, more amazing uh, show. Uh, last couple of episodes were gnarly, and I can't even tell you why. I had to, you know, I had to do acting. You know, I don't consider myself an actor. I, I think I've gotten better at it. I, I am a comedian who acts, and uh, I am playing myself. There was a bit of a learning curve, but I, I think I've I watched the uh, the cuts, and I and I believe that I I'm doing a, a better job at it. I think the writing is everything's better this season. But the last couple that we did, I mean, were draining. I, I had to shave my face to play a younger me. It was pretty fascinating. They put a little color in my hair. I shaved my face. I got my old glasses frames and they found some clothing from 10, 12 years ago and I wore it and I, it was bizarre, man. I'm still like, because I have no mustache or beard right now, I'm wearing old shoes and, old, and an old shirt of mine because I enjoy the time traveling. It's nostalgic, but I really think that I've gotten younger. And it's weird because I'm actually not treating uh, my girlfriend as well as I did when I had my beard and mustache because I'm, yeah, I'm old me. I'm, you know, I'm being a little, a little snotty, a little fucking nasty. And I, maybe that'll have something to do with it. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I took a picture of myself and I sent it to my mother you know, in the, in the, uh, the um, dated garb with a beardless with old glasses. And she's like, she wrote back, what did you, how did you do that? Just shaved, put a little color in the hair. That was it. I'm going to do a couple of trip in the house dates just to get my brain back into the hour or so I was working on before I started shooting Marin, the trip in the house at the Steve Allen Theater here in Los Angeles. That's uh, I'm going to do 331. That's March 31st. That's a Tuesday. I'm going to do April 6th. That's a Monday. So if you want to, uh, if you want to come to those, they're usually pretty inexpensive. And I, as I do it all as a benefit for the theater. Yeah, go to trippinghouse.org and the whole schedule is right there and you can get some tickets to me. And it's a good place to come see me. It's a good place to uh, have a nice... It's only, it only seats like a, a few people. This is just going to be me and you and a few other people. The Rochester dates, I know that that's happening this Friday and Saturday, the 20th and 21st. I'll be at the Comedy Club. I guess it's in Webster, New York. So uh, come out to that if you're in that area. Could you? Nice. Go to WTFpod.com slash calendar and see all the full tour dates. I can't wait for you guys to see the new season, though. I can't wait till we get it all edited and stuff. I got to go in this week and edit mine. And a lot of the, I'm telling you, the cuts look great. It's a, a lot of great stuff. A lot of great co-stars. Judd Hirsch is back. Adam Goldberg. Andy Richter. Patton Oswalt's on the show. Andy Kinler, of course. Dave Anthony. Uh, uh, who else? Bruce Bruce. Got Bruce Bruce in on an episode. Uh, I do not want to uh, spoil anything. Marilyn Ricecub. Hmm. Hmm. Very exciting. But now I'm going to start living life again, so I'll probably have more things to talk about because I'll be out in the world and not just on a, on a TV set. So look forward to that. Me being in the world talking to you about that. I'm so curious as to whether the floating cloud of sewage stench that randomly occurs on my 
hillside is going to go away after my neighbor fixes whatever problem he has over there. Things to look forward to. That and Marin Season 3, premiering in May the 14th, I believe. Let's talk to Alex Karpovsky now. And we might have a little bit of an obsessive problem. I understand. I do. I do have an obsessive problem. But uh, with sound of your voice in general? There's an underlying reservoir and it trickles in all sorts of ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like full on kind of like, like, like you have rituals around? When I, when I was a kid, I was an obsessive tapper. And uh, I couldn't, I had magic numbers and good yeah. numbers and bad numbers. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was magic. It was a way of keeping the world safe and somewhat controllable. That is magic. Yeah. It's OCD. I, I, I have often said, Alex Karpovsky, mm. is that right? You got it. Yeah. Huh. That, uh, that, that, you know, those are rituals. Those are magic. That's yeah. how you control the environment you're in and make things happen. Yeah. And at that time, I think it was a way of negotiating with a really acute... Uh, separation anxiety that I had with my mom and I felt every time she would go out something awful this is before cell phones too something awful uh, has happened to her and I can't get in touch with her so I tap and I have these magic numbers to make sure that she's going to return in one piece how old were you was this like a couple years ago oh yeah no 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 this was when I was a kid but you know it's interesting that you say that because I think that whatever that um, hole that has been created and will always be there has then been filled by other things like like a death anxiety or something. Oh, the whole of separation anxiety. The, the, the whole of just like chewing on, a, on an anxiety. Has no, I know. I, you know, I, 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 I'm full of dread and weirdness. And you have to be careful not to let it turn into, into morose rumination or, or depression or, right. or paralysis. Paralysis is probably the biggest fear of all those that you mentioned. For yeah, me. yeah. Oh, you get it? No, but it's the biggest dread that I have. It's the biggest fear of those that I mentioned is just stagnation, paralysis, not moving forward. And ultimately, the paralysis turning into like a gangrene, emotional and Emotional gangrene, gangrene yeah. where you have to cut your heart out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a tricky surgery. It's very tricky. <laughs> yeah. You can do it, though. There's, you can do it with your brain. Just, yeah. you know, just cut your heart out. But I wouldn't do it myself. I'd want to, um, you know, have well, a surgeon like, like a professional. Well, clearly you've done some work on yourself. You've thought about this. You've I've thought, thought about I've ne- the, the never, root of I your ha- tapping. I've done some drilling, some fracking, some emotional and spiritual fracking. You guided or unguided? That's what I was going to say is I've never, uh, I've never gone to, I've, I, I say this with a very small asterisk, but I basically have never gone to a therapist. Yeah. And that's not something I, I'm proud of. And but you've I, done fact, some reading. I've done some reading. I've listened to your podcast. I think when I first met you, Phil Stutz had oh, a big impression on me. Did he? Yeah, he did. You introduced me to Phil. I didn't really know about him beforehand. I you can go see the... Phil. Where? He's oh, yeah, he practices in LA, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You do yourself a... This is your way to pop your therapy chair. This could be the year of psychotherapy go, for go me. See yeah. th- but you seem pretty well adjusted. And not... Well, let's keep talking. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I could unravel. But where did you start? What was What drove you to put those pieces together? Because putting the pieces together between OCD tapping, separation anxiety from your mother, when did you first n- notice that? How old were you? Um, I, I don't remember these actually. I would guess around six or seven or eight. It's a, another weird thing too, Mark. Like my, my parents are immigrants and they never, um, I just talked, I just talked to them about them for the first time about this last week. I don't know why it took so long. Where did you talk about it? 
uh, I we had our girls premiere. They yeah, ne- they've never been to anything that I've done. So I I brought they're in Boston. I, I'm from Newton, Mass. So I kind of you know bought the Acela train, got a little hotel for them across for the both street. parents both for the parents. premiere. Yeah, for the premiere. Yeah, and, and they've never I've never invited them to anything before. N- really? Yeah. Uh, they won't ever listen to this, so it's, I love them to death. But I'm a little bit—they're a little bit of a liability. I guess everyone's parents, but my parents are really—I fear as a liability. They could always say they're immigrants. They haven't really made any attempt to integrate themselves socially or culturally. You're embarrassed by them. I'm embarrassed by what they could potentially do. Yeah, I guess I'm embarrassed by them. But but they're they're great people, and when people meet them, they always say they're very sweet. But they don't really speak the language, and they don't really get all the customs. And which I'm, language do they not, do they speak? They only speak Russian, and I'm just so nervous. So they come from the Russia. The yeah, Russians. The Russians. And they don't speak a lot of English. My mom speaks virtually no English, and my dad speaks, yes, yeah, some English. And they, wh- how have they insulated themselves this long? How long have they been you here? You can do it. You can do it these days with satellite television, you know, all of their news. So they can sources. watch all their Russian stuff? They watch their Russian stuff instead of the American stuff. All of their friends are Russian friends. And, uh, you know, there's Do they long Russian... for Russia? Did they come over no. with, the, with the massive uh, uh, expulsion of the Jews? They came with the Jews, yeah, in, in the early 70s. Um, at that point point i think like that was the sort of like you can go just go yeah fine get out of here yeah, here's Stop your window. nagging us yeah exactly <laughs> but they don't yeah they don't miss it but at the same time they made no attempt to integrate themselves culturally in america so you invite them i invite them and uh that was the first time in my life that i've ever talked to them about my tapping we're not a very open like we don't talk about a lot of stuff you know we don't talk about my childhood we don't talk about this and that i was an only child i never had a babysitter that's what we didn't talk about you were only child only child and i never had a babysitter so when they were like they'd go away to go to like restaurants or parties or whatever when i was seven years old and they'd leave me by myself what do you mean by yourself yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, they would leave me by myself, and then I get really fucking freaked out. When like, you were uh, seven, yeah. they left you alone in the house. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's not right. Well, that's what I was trying to to tell them, and my dad just like realized it last week, and I was told he's like, "Oh, that that's not that's not correct." I was like, "No, that's like that was." Tr- I'm still recovering from that. Like, there's a reason I'm in my 30s and I'm fucking single, and I don't like you know? being alone in my house. Yeah, and like you know, and what I you know, th- there's still this sort of um, that fear that sort of neur that 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 neural pathway that has been really deepened since I was a child, and that I'll be negotiating with the rest of my life. It's no longer um, pulsing around this sort of separation anxiety anymore. I think it's been filled by other things, but it'll always have to be filled by something. I don't think I'll be able to rewire that. I don't think so. I well, that's like a terror because I had uh, some of that when I was a kid. Like my parents, if they go out of town, I would be sure they would die. Yeah, in, in a right. plane crash. Right, but like I'd get nauseous. I threw up. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be paralyzed at school. They'd have some, but I'd have a babysitter. Did you have siblings as well? Yeah, I have a little brother. Did that help? Well, being an oldest probably doesn't help. I just don't know. It's just like I was—I got so consumed and sad with the idea that their plane would crash. That was me, where, how it manifested. Me too. For me, it was car crashes, and I was absolutely convinced it's, per, it's before cell phones. I would try to call restaurants that they would go to and just beg the manager to put them on. Did they put them on? Sometimes, if it wasn't too busy, but, you know, it, it, it was always like an incredible dread. I'd be crying all night, and... Uh, and it, I think it messed me up. But they're was great it, parents in other respects, Was too. your mom like a completely uh, overbearing, panicky person? I mean, why, why was the connection so strong? Because I, I don't, I, I'm not sure why, like, I, I just couldn't, uh, the, the, the worry was something I got from them. 
I don't think she was panicky, but she was smothering. Mm-hmm. She loved me a lot, and that's a great problem to well, have. Well, you're the only one. That's I a lot of pressure. And she was 35 when she had me, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so she was mature. She was mature, and this was the, the last hurrah. So I, I think there was some of that. And I think my dad countered that by being a, a, a stoic, introverted, Soviet intellectual. I think he countered that by saying, you're giving him too much attention. You're giving this too much. So we need to harden him by um, have, giving him some alone time. What kind of intellectual? He was a scientist professor, or a professor of yeah. what? Uh, computer science at Boston University. I oh, went you to went. Boston University. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I How'd went you there know too. That? Oh, you went there too? Yeah. Because he went he worked there. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know we that. We talked about that? No, but I saw the Jerusalem syndrome. Oh, you did? Yeah. In, in New York? Yeah. I was a big fan of yours, man. <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> no. There was this like a quote unquote alternative comedy scene at the Luna Lounge on right. Monday nights. Yeah. And you were, you know, a big heavyweight there. Yeah. And I was a fan. And uh, I, it was like a... a like a black box, like shoebox yeah. thing somewhere. In the back, yeah. There weren't that many people there, but I really enjoyed the show. But at the beginning of it, there's some sort of like slide, uh, you know, there's some a little screen. Oh, you're talking about some... Jerusalem Syndrome. That yeah. was, You saw it upstairs at not a 45. So uh, that was in like, it was on like 46th Street or something. That sounds about right. Right, yeah. that was before I moved it to the West Beth Theater. So you saw it in one of those like two or three hour marathon things. I don't remember the duration or what floor I was on when I saw it, but, but I do small remember theater. it was a small theater. Nobody was there. Seven or eight people there, and at the beginning, it said Mark Mar- something along the lines. Mark Merritt sponsored by, brought to you by, and then it was like there's all this stuff coming yeah, out. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things was Boston University. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I went to Boston University. <laughs> and I just remember that. Yeah, you saw one of the early Jerusalem. Syndrome. You know what's weird about that show? I mean, I really liked the show. There was this guy, like this like corporate fratty guy, and he kept yawning. And I don't mean like small yawns. I mean like, <sighs> and he wasn't being a dick. He right. just had no fucking grip on common sense and when this sh- and i was like it was annoying it was like a small room i feel like you were noticing it but you were being a it's professional surprisingly that i didn't say anything and either. then the show ended and this woman who was sitting next to me the whole time came up to him just berated him in the lobby she's like you have no you, you have you have you're you're an asshole you have no sense of common decency or common respect and the guy was just like befuddled <laughs> he didn't i really remember that after the jerusalem syndrome for some reason so uh, your dad was this a, a professor of B- when did they still were, is, yeah. were, he still is yeah when did you, were you born here? I was born in Israel. My parents left Russia. My mom left Moscow. My dad left St. Petersburg. They met in Israel. They stayed there for six years total. But in the middle of that- They weren't together when they met in Israel? They weren't together. But there was like a Russian community. I think it was easy for Russia. I, I don't know exactly They didn't leave they together? They didn't leave Russia together? Yeah, they didn't know each other in Russia. Okay. They so met they, in Israel. They met in Israel in the 70s? They married. Yeah, early 70s. Yeah. And then they met each other, boned. Mm-hmm. I was I came out and then I came here when I was three, upstate New York. So you initially. were you were in Israel for three years, the first three years. Yeah. So you have citizenship in Israel. Yeah. But you got to go fight. You know what happened, man? <laughs> when I was twenty years old, I yeah. went I went to school. Um, I, I I I took I went to Israel when I was twenty years old. Yeah. And uh, when I now when I came in the country, but I was leaving the country, they ran me through and they said you have like a working equivalent of a social security number because I had dual citizenship. Yeah. And they said, technically, we yeah. have every right to put you on a bus and throw a uniform on you. Cause right. you're, you're, and I was like, well, this, surely there's a misunderstanding. And so they, I missed my flight. They took me into a room and yeah. I signed a stack of papers, most, mostly in Hebrew. Yeah. A lot of initials, a lot of signatures. And I don't know what I signed that day, man. I could have been confessing to terrorist acts. I have no you idea. You really don't know. I really don't know. But I you don't read Hebrew. I, wouldn't, I don't read Hebrew. I wouldn't be shocked if I somehow forfeited my citizenship. I've never been back since that day, so I don't know. You know, you could probably find out. Yeah, I probably could. I've just, it's, I've never 
had an opportunity to visit. You were twenty. Soon. What you went there for? You went to school for a year or what? Or no, no, no I went to school in England, and we had a break, so I thought I'd, I would check out Israel. Actually, I had a great trip. All right, let's uh, let's back it up. All right, back it up. Yeah, we did kind of just cannonball right into like my separation anxiety. We went from like you were seven in. and sad <laughs> calling restaurants. Yeah, and now you're you're leaving Oxford for this for a year. Yeah, this is like the structure <laughs> of a New York article. You're gonna <laughs> dive in, then you back it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But all right, so you, you're in Israel for three years. You don't really remember that. Do you have relatives there? Or nobody. Nobody. So I, ha- just, I had a grandfather, uh, but he died. Yeah. So he was in Israel. Mm-hmm. So they all went to Israel first. They okay. went from the Russia to Israel. Russia to Israel. Yeah. I think there was three paths at that point: Israel, Italy, or U.S. And it was a lottery system, from what I understand. That Russia, to get out of Russia. To get out of Russia. Yeah. My dad was a refugee. My mom won. Well, they both won the lottery, but ultimately, yeah, they went to Israel. Israel took them. And okay, so then you move here when you're three to upstate New York to Binghamton, right? Bing- Soon that's Binghamton. where he got his gig. Yeah. First gig, his first gig. So he's yeah. got to speak enough English to teach fucking. Computers. Yeah, but you've heard these professors like "Wills begins the proof," you know, like yeah. it's like really fucking broken. And you know, he's saying the same shit over and over again, so it's kind of like but he's rote been memory. There for what a couple decades, he must be yeah. doing a good well, job. He's got his little, he's got his little speech down, but like get him outside his comfort zone, it breaks down pretty quickly. Oh, really? Yeah. Like talking about movies or something or anything? Yeah. But he, that's the thing, man. They have an integrated social culture, so he can't talk about movies. He can't talk about TV shows. He can't talk about music or anything like that. Does he have those interests? No, no. He's a very solitary man. After work, he goes upstairs to a study, and he's just in front of the computer, like reading Russian news on the internet. Did he? Did, did he? Is he responsible for any amazing things? Like, is he known for something as a computer guy? Um, fault tolerant self-diagnostic electronics. Oh, and also uh, cryptography. He got his PhD in cryptography, but I don't think he's like. Uh, is that maps? No, that's cartography. Oh. I think uh, it's code breaking. Oh, right. I but, just saw the movie about that. Well, yeah, this is the big code breaking movie. And did you Turing? see it? No, I didn't see it. I didn't know anything about that Turing guy. Yeah. Did you? A little bit because of my dad. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. he's a, like a Turing fan? Well, he's a mathematician code breaker. I think Turing's like the holy grail. So cryptography, your dad was a code breaker? Uh, he went to, he got his PhD in cryptography. I, I, I don't know if I can say In that. Russia. In Russia, yeah. And then he taught it in Israel, and then he taught it in the U.S. He was supposed to go to the U.S. for a, a year or a semester, uh-huh. and then he fell in love and they stayed. How are you doing? Do, can you break a code? No, I can't break a single code. You didn't say, give me some tricks? You didn't, you didn't have those kind of interests? Even if, I, even if I asked my dad for tricks, I would be really surprised if he gave me any. He would be withholding? He'd be withholding his tricks. Like, you got to go learn it on your own? I tried him, I tried to get him to teach me chess a few times, and he, he's not a patient man. He's like, he's an incredible chess player, too. Well, that, you, that, really isn't that part of Russian culture? It's part of the whole jam. But uh, <laughs> I would ask him to teach me stuff, and he'd be so frustrated. I'm like, dude, I'm fucking nine years old. Like, I'm starting to know. You, you should, know. Well, he should have taught you chess. Maybe he would have, you know, you might have changed your life. There are a lot of things he could have done to change my life. Like, what else do you think he, he could have done? Teach me about chicks. You know, teach <laughs> Does me he know about chicks? He's well, a computer guy. Why don't you stick within his realm of expertise? He Your cryptography ma- and chess seems reasonable. He managed to marry a beautiful, very beautiful woman and my mother, so uh-huh. he knew enough to pull that off, you know? Well, why do you think that your uh, this separation anxiety has kept you single? How old are you? 39. So you're almost 40. Almost 40. Well, let's, let's 39. Okay, and you... <laughs> Do you you got it? Do you have a girlfriend? No, man. Have you ever? Yeah, but I can't ever say like it was. They've always been. I I don't know. I'm gonna sound like everyone else now. I 
I've had girlfriends, but I've never been in a relationship that I ever thought was really, really perfect. I've never, and, and I guess anybody could say that, but there have been moments in my life outside of relationships where I felt, this is perfect. This is great. I would love to live this way forever. Like if I could freeze time and just hover in this haze, it'd be great. But I never felt that way in a relationship. Th- really. That's not the way life works. But I felt that way, man. Even last winter, I spent like January, February, and March here last winter. I live yeah. in New York. I spent in LA. And it was blissful. It was really great. Really? I could have lived that way for a few years. You try living out here for a year straight. Yeah, that's see what how the bliss. Say. See what the bliss does. Yeah. yeah. Pretty soon it'd be like, nothing. This is the temperature? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. There's no variation yeah. on this except yeah. for 10, 12 degrees? I guess every... Every type of bliss has a shelf life. But it, I, I never felt even that way that I felt last winter in a relationship. That's all I'm trying to communicate. I get. Well, that, well you know, having poetic sort of, um, you know, uh, you know f- f- nice deep feelings about weather is different than, you know, having that with a person. Well, my love for L.A. isn't just weather-based. It's not just weather-based. That's no, a big part of it, but there's other things. You have love for L.A. I've never lived here. I spent three months here last winter, but it was a lot of And you're back. How long have you been back so far? A week. All right. So, and you're going to spend another three months. Yeah. But th- like, this could be it. You're like, I was wrong about that bitch. I LA. could be. It wouldn't be the first time to be wrong about a bitch. Absolutely. <laughs> LA fucked me this time. It was not good. What was nice about LA last year is A, I dodged the brutal winter. B, I knew it was temporary. C, I wasn't here hustling, trying to pitch something or mm-hmm. go to meetings. I was just, I had a little house that I found on Craigslist. In Echo Park, carved into this hill, beautiful view. I just wrote, played tennis, and occasionally went on a few dates, and it was awesome. It was a really nice time. Play tennis. Yeah, I'm a big tennis player. You play tennis? No, I don't play tennis. My brother plays tennis. Yeah, it was nice. He used to play all the time. It's so easy to play in LA. It's really hard in New York. All right, so you're in upstate New York, Binghamton, for how long? Five years, three to eight. So you're eight, and you leave. How was it? But Binghamton, that's cold. Gets cold up there. I've been cold my whole life until last year. Yeah, I mean, how's your Russian? All these pretty good, right? It's pretty good. I speak fluently, but I got a I got a thick accent, so you'll know. Like a Russian will know within you know half a sentence that I'm an American. Oh, really? Yeah, but get, but you grew up speaking it. I grew up speaking it. Yeah, I can't answer that, and I and like I can't read it and I can't write it. I'm stupid with language. Because I I was looking at your credits mm. and your second credit after the film you made was a, a voiceover. Is that is that a true credit? Did, oh, you did Grand Theft Auto Four. Yeah, yeah, I did that. There, there was a, uh, there was a. Uh, but they were Russian guys, right? I played a, a, a different, a, a set of Russian gangsters. A set of Russian gangsters. Yeah, they. Um, what were the variations on those? Well, Alex, I want to. This like there'd be like a tough guy, then yeah. there'd be like a kind of a nebbish guy, then there'd be like a guy. Well, give who's, me, a, give me a taste. Tough guy. Tough guy. Why do you want to get him? He has nothing for you. You know, when I walked, this is the thing. It's like, I thought I'd be doing one thing, so I practiced one thing. When yeah. I walked in, there was a little, like, five-foot-two guy with a clipboard, yeah. and he walked me to the sound booth, and he's like, okay, so the first thing we're going to have you do is um, you just you just fucked a prostitute, and then you killed her yeah. to get her money. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start. You want some hot water? You want a lemon? <laughs> yes, this is a brutal game. Have you played it? No, I, I didn't. Pl- I, I didn't. I didn't play it either. I haven't played any video games. games. I don't know anything about modern video. You games. didn't grow up playing video games. Legend of Zelda. I'm fifty one. I'm fifty one. My Donkey video Kong. games were it was a little before Donkey Kong. I had. Uh, I was. I was around when the first ones came. Space Invaders, mm-hmm. uh, Asteroids. Uh, Are we talking Atari system? No, we're talking. You know, at the bowling alley. Oh, I'm okay. Doing, I'm okay. talking about quarter machines. Nothing. Nothing at home. Well, nothing they had Pong. But well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, a lot of grown-ups play them. I just, I can't maintain interest. It takes too long. Yeah. 
I can't. I don't. I uh, can't. I can't do it. Well, they sucked when you were growing up. Now they're. I know, I, I but I know them. grown people that play them. Do you play them? I don't play them. No, but that's my point. It's like now they're really, really. I want to hear the Nebuchadnezzar Russian guy. I'm not going to do party tricks for you here, Mark. Sure you are. Excuse me. Uh, I I would like my money back. Uh, um, I enjoyed fucking you, but can I have my money back, please? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, well, kind of Peter Laurie-ish. <laughs> that, that's not a party trick. That's a skill. You're exhibiting your amazing... My range. My, my... <laughs> so when did you end up in Boston? How old were you then? Hey, we went from Binghamton to Boston. My dad got a job at BU, so he's been there for a long time. Where did you grow up? What 31 part? 31 years. Newton, Mass. Newton. It's where mm-hmm. Louis grew up. I know. I saw that episode where he went back home. Yeah. And tried to n- talk to his dad. <laughs> how you got, how, so you're almost 40. 39 years. Well, you keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's older than you, so you didn't know him. So you were there from eight until you left. Uh, yeah, eight until uh, 20, which is when I went, 20 or 21 is when I went to grad school in England, yeah. Okay, so when did you do stand-up? Did you do acting? What were you doing at PU? Oh, man, no. I, was, uh, I did a neuroscience and anthropology. I was a huge fucking um, introvert. I mean, I still am to some extent, but I was like a clinical undergraduate like, neuroscience yeah. and anthropology. Were you there? You know, when I was at BU, there was a program called Uni University Professors Program. Yeah, for Smarties, right? It was a little bit for Smarties, but you can kind of uh, do your own thing, and, right? And right. You, like you just write a little thesis, kind right. of a bullshit thesis, and whatever the thesis is about is what they put on your. Yeah, design. yeah, I remember that. They shut it down, by the way. That's no longer the program's no longer there. But I did that, so it's kind of like a. I mean, I don't really know that much about neuroscience i didn't really know that much about anthropology but you know what i mean i just kind of wrote the thesis more or less on those subjects yeah i sort of bullshitted my way through yeah with my degrees like what do we got at the end yeah i mean what do i what do i really know that i could but you must have done all right to get into oxford i really you know yeah i really i I worked hard in my undergrad years noon south which is the school i went to uh it was a i didn't realize until i was done with it just how uh difficult it was we're at oxford no, going to BU relative yeah. to Noon South. BU is really what's uh, Noon South? It's just a really like good public high school. I oh, you went to a uh, to, uh, oh uh, Newton South. Newton South, high right? School. I grew up in Newton. I heard Newton. that was a good uh, school. It was. I didn't realize how tough it was until I left it and went to BU, and everything just seemed a lot easier. Um, really? So you studied hard in high school? I know I studied hard, but I only got decent grades. And then uh, at BU, I studied hard. I think to impress my dad. Uh, yeah, that's what you do. I did that for a semester, then I'm like, fuck that. Yeah, it took me a few years, but ultimately I did say fuck that too. Um, I think, you know, weed- Did you impress your dad? Weed really helped me. I smoked my- I did everything late. I, like, I lost my virginity late. I like, I, How old? I, I, I re- I'm too embarrassed to tell you. Really- No, old. it's time to fess up. No, man, I'm embarrassed. No, seriously. No, I'm one percenter. Like, I'm a one percenter. What, like last year? No, it wasn't that bad. But it was like- I can't tell you, man. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. What are you talking I'm about? I'm not ready to tell you. You're like 25 to 30? A little bit lower than that. Okay, I was 23. That's not horrible. That's that's a one percenter, I think. I don't think so. You don't think so? No, man. You were you just said you were socially awkward and introverted mm-hmm. and it was difficult and you can't, you know, you don't have you're not that great at it now, it doesn't seem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? Um, what? What do I know? But, but what was do it, you know? Was no, it, you're, you're right. Was you're it right. great though the first time? 
No, because I was so old, I had to pretend like I did it like 50 times before. So, oh. so I had to like pretend I'm all smooth, but ultimately I had no moves. I didn't right. know what I was doing. Right, right. I went down on her for like, I think three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so she'll always remember it. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I, I didn't come the first time. Really? Uh, that's, yeah. that's, it was, see, just, now it was that's, too overwhelming. That that is not a one percenter activity. Yeah, the I mean most right. pe- most people. I came within seconds. You did sure. Uh, prophylactic? Did you use one? No. Sorry to ask. No, I'm mean, so offended. It was well, it wasn't necessary then. Okay. I mean, but when I lost my virginity, you didn't need one. How old were you? <laughs> Seventeen or eighteen? That's right in the sweet spot. I guess, but it didn't go well. It did not go well. Did she yeah. know you were a virgin? Yeah, I told her. Everything was, she was a out front. No, she was older than me and she was like, Okay, we're gonna do it and I was so nervous. It took me forever to get it up and you know, when I finally did, it was like, Oh God and then, you know, it was just paralyzing with anxiety and it was not it was it was a lot of pressure. And how long after your that uh, experience did it take you to have sex again? Was it immediate? Did you like wanna wash the bad taste out of your mouth? Yeah, no, I kept trying, you know, to have good, successful sex, but I don't think I really got rolling until I was maybe, uh, you know, 20, 19 or 20. And then, like, I, fi- I figured it out. I like, figured it out. Like your junior year at BU, you got in a groove. I was doing okay. Okay. I did all right. Developing the game, like knowing how to talk to women. No, I had nothing to do with that. Just developing the skill of sex. You know, I, sex. I, okay. I was never, I don't know if I ever had a lot of game. You okay. know, that, I mean, the ones that came around, came around. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, you know, I would get obsessed with girls and I would focus on them and I put a lot of attention on them and so that could go either way. Yeah. Either you could frighten them or they're like, wow, this kid means business. Right. It's very, it's very focused. <laughs> and it could go that way. Right. And then, then what, but the problem with that being obsessive like that, then they sort of, you know, once you, once they're like, okay, I'm in, you're like, no, nah, I guess I'm done. Right. Yeah. The hunt's over. Yeah, I understand that. But, um, oh, you're talking about weed. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to get to. Is like, I think weed really uh, injected me with perspective. It forced me or allowed me to look at myself from a completely different vantage point, Yeah, which is really helpful. I think if I didn't smoke weed when I was like 19 or 20, I would have been a very unhappy academic or scientist or something. Really? It yeah, opens you up? It opened me up, man. I didn't. I didn't have any therapy beforehand. I had very little life experience. I didn't have a lot of close friends. I had no fucking relationship experience. So I had no sort of reflection upon myself. What did it do exactly? Did it relax you? I saw myself from a removed point of view, from oh. a completely unfamiliar vantage point. Right. And that's what meditation can do. That's right. what psychotherapy can do. That's right. what a great close friend can do. Right. But I didn't have any of those things. All I had was a bong and it really 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 helped me yeah it really helped me like do you still I, smoke uh like once a month i'll smoke really um yeah but like back then were you like hitting it like you know wake and bake kind of stuff no no i never waked and baked but uh i would like i would do it at the end of a night and yeah and i would just lie down on my uh, bedroom floor and just close my eyes and just go go places when but when you were at bu did you live at home uh, first year I lived at Warren Towers. Do you remember Warren Towers? You were down the street and you went and, they, and you went and lived in Warren Towers. Well, there's no way I'm going to live like that's. I didn't get to like go away for college. At least I'm going to go and live in the dorms. I mean, I'm not going to. Oh, but those dorms. I know it was brutal. Horrendous. It was brutal. It's a lottery, you know. I didn't. I didn't ask for those dorms. But yeah, it was, it was horrendous. It's it's almost like prison. And then my first semester of sophomore year, I did live at home, and I was very unhappy. And then I went. I lived in Alston since then, basically. For right. the rest of BU. How did Oxford happen? I got good grades at BU. But was, did you learn about anthropology? A little bit. What do you mean a little bit? You got into Oxford. Were you, in, with, you, you majored 
in neuroscience and anthropology? I mean, that's what my thesis was on. Like, I, it's, I hesitate to say major. Did you in study it. theater or film or anything? No, no. I was. I would never. Can even, you do algebra? What did you study at BU? I'm curious because it was hard. I think unless you, unless you were like a, a SFA School of Fine Arts student, it was hard to do plays. I did stage troupe. You did? Yeah. Were you an SFA kid? No, I was a College of Liberal Arts. I was an English lit major. I minored in film studies, but you did, which was an art history minor. Did you do stand-up in Boston when you were an underground? I did a little stand-up like very early on on campus, but I, I didn't. I started doing it after my sophomore year that summer, and it killed me, and I stopped until I graduated. So I did stage troupe, though. What exactly I, is stage troupe? That's for the non-SFA drama club. So oh, you know, okay. I did Indian Wants the Bronx. Uh, and I did, I directed uh, uh, Woody Allen, uh, two plays by Woody Allen for Stage Troop. I was in Don't Drink the Water. I was in that Woody Allen play. And, uh, you know, I, I was part of that. Okay. Yeah, I, I, that, I just, that wasn't anywhere near my radar. So what point. did you, why did you apply to Oxford? Whose idea was that? You know, I went there my junior year abroad. I took the entire junior year. I went there from BU. I fell in love with it because I could finally go away from home for the first time in life. And I could, like truly be whatever I told people I was. Are you religious Jew? Not religious, no. Were you bar mitzvah? I everything? was bar mitzvah, yeah. So you went to temple in Newton? Went to temple. Yeah, my, my, I, you know, when I've, sometimes I still visit my parents and I time my visits with high holidays so we can go to temple sure. together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Okay. Yeah. Right, so you're not Jew on your own time? I'm not Jew on my own. No, I don't really, I don't do Jew on my own You don't own Jew time. on your <laughs> Well, you know, I actually, uh, one or two Yom Kippur's ago, I went to a temple in New York on my own time. So, yeah, I, I, but I very did that. Rarely. Then it went away. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think it went away? I don't know. I just, I, I don't know that it was, uh, I'm culturally Jewish. I don't know if the religion, outside of like feeling like I had to do it at any, it didn't resonate. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it, I, I, don't, I don't pray. I mean, I got warm feelings sometimes going to temple, but I don't know that it really... It just felt like something I did with my family. Yeah. And when I went alone, it felt s sad. Yeah. Lonely? I don't know if it's lonely, but it's just sort of like, what am I doing? What is this just a habit? Am I really praying? Am I really repenting? Mm -hmm. Did you repent when you went by yourself? I made a list on a piece of paper of all the things that I uh, was apologizing for. So yeah, I atoned. Yeah, that's what I meant, atoned. Yeah, writing everything down on a piece of paper. It was kind of helpful. It actually was very helpful. And then I, I created my own ritual. I burned the piece of paper because I wanted it to, like, I don't know, just go away. That's some, ma that's some magic. I guess it is magic. Magic still trickles through me, I guess. Yeah. No, that's a, I think that's actually a magic thing, <laughs> that you burned the list. Burning the list. It felt good. It felt good to see it go up and ashes. Well, that's, well, that's all that's necessary. That's how you change your feelings about things is taking ritual action. And, and if it was effective, it was effective. If you felt like it was good closure mm -hmm. to burn a list mm -hmm. like a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> in like an alleyway behind the temple <laughs> trying, trying to the get the flame going in the wind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So Oxford, what do you study there? Anthropology. More anthropology. More, more anthropology. Ritual and myth was my concentration. That's exciting. So that must have helped a little bit with the writing of the screenplays and the thinking about the drama. Uh, in a way. But, you know, when I went to Oxford, that's when I really, that's when I started. Um, I don't know exactly how this happened, but I, I started kind of going on auditions and doing um, sketch comedy, improv comedy. In Britain? Yeah. I get this. What I was trying to say a moment ago. It's like I, I, when I went there, I, no one knew who um, I was. Right. 
I went to like a lot of kids from Newton South went to BU. Yeah. My parents, my dad is fucking on campus. So yeah. I could run into him at any moment. Did that happen a lot? Yeah, it happened every now and then. Yeah. But like it, it could happen at any moment. So like mentally it was always there. So just the notion that I can go 5,000 miles away, whatever, and wear whatever clothes I want and say whatever I want, it, it allowed me to finally um, reinvent myself. Right. Long overdue. And, uh, and Come I, out of your shell. Yeah, very much so. And as an extension of that, I started kind of doing stand-up and um, sketch comedy and improv comedy and other things that I wouldn't have dreamed of doing um, with the past still kind of wrapped around me, you know, sure. so, so close to me. And I really loved it. I took, a, after, after being at Oxford for a year for my master's degree, I took a leave of absence to go to London just to do it full-time. Stand-up? To do stand-up and sketch comedy. I was obsessed with Andy Kaufman at the time. So yeah. It was kind of prankish, comedic performance art stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of it didn't work, but it was really, really fun. Give me some examples of a bit. So one bit was, I would. Uh, it's kind of hard to, exp- I don't know if it'll, okay. It's, uh, I would have a boom box uh, with two cassette players and I would introduce, <laughs> and I would introduce my brother who couldn't be here tonight because of an illness. So I'd play like the best of his tapes and then I had a whole box of tapes. Uh-huh. And I would sort of try to make it. I can't explain it. That one. That one killed. That was a good one. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And then another thing was I played a Russian comic where a guy tried to translate my jokes. It feels so outdated. Um, talking about there's a stoic comic, a guy who like prided himself on never being able to laugh, and this other guy would tell him jokes. But you know, like it, the thing that I found was it was really hard to like. Um, Did you work with other people when you? Yeah. There's a guy named Quinn Burke who's just a brilliant guy that. Also, an American guy that I used to do. Is he still in the racket? No, he shut it down, um, and I've lost touch with him. Uh. Um, but it was hard to like, you know, widen that. Like, you do like a five minute thing that yeah. may eventually work, but you can't really like, yeah, you no know, stand ups like like you, you, you do know, an hour. You, yeah, you slowly bi- you get best subs and best subs, and you tighten up and you get it longer. I couldn't do that. But you were never a joke guy. It was all sort of like you know you got to go up and commit to these lengthy things that might go nowhere. Exactly, and and most of them are rooted in some notion of like your. You're 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 playing a character where the audience doesn't know you're playing a character. So you reveal that you're playing a character, mm-hmm. and once the you know the jig is up, the jig is up, and you can't like play another character after that. But what kind of like, improv were you doing? Just regular sort of uh, you know college based improv, which means bad improv. Right. Like we would just go up there, and uh, it was ma- is mostly with me and my friend Quinn. We would just go up there and do um, long form improv, which you have to be really really good to do. Later on in my life, I met these two guys named TJ and Dave who do long-form improv out of Chicago, and I made a movie about them, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I should have never even, after seeing those guys, I was like, why, what, what the... Well, you just didn't go further with it. What are you going to do? You tried something. Yeah, I tried something. So what? You, what which movie was that? Trust Us, This Is All Made Up. And it was just following those guys? It was, it was basically a live concert performance film. So they Of them? Of them, yeah. They do this show at the Barrow Street Theater in New York. They're Chicago guys, but they come to New York to do the show every few months. And, and you shot a concert it. movie. Concert movie. It's exactly yeah. what it is, yeah. And were they happy with it? I think so. You know, they were very wary about the whole endeavor. In fact, they said no repeatedly, and I slowly kept nudging them. But the thing that Why, made Why, because them, of the intrusion? Well, uh, one or two botched efforts in the past, A. With you or other people? No, with other people. Uh And ultimately, that led them to feeling, B, that this, it couldn't be translated. This fundamentally 3D live theatrical experience couldn't be translated into a flat cinematic 2D long And that was the challenge that you wanted to take. 
Yeah, but but yeah. So one of the things I told them was like, you know, we're not just going to launch into the live concert. We're going to have like this twenty minute documentary type of build up. So mm-hmm. we have a little bit of you know, right three act structure. We're going to make the audience nervous and hopefully exhilarated. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what I'm getting at is, I gave them final cut, and if they were embarrassed by the movie. And if they felt there was something they didn't want to get out there, they could shut it down. So the fact that it's out there is some sort of sign, I guess, that they didn't, they weren't horribly embarrassed by it. They, when it went out, if it premiered at South by Southwest. It played a few other festivals. They traveled with the movie. They did shows with it. Sure. So that was very nice. So is it available now on DVD? Yeah, I think on Netflix, Amazon. Still on Netflix? iTunes, maybe. Yeah? I'm not sure. All so, this stuff one, is one up? One of those. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's go back. So you're in London. You took a semester off. You did the stand-up. Took a year off. A year off. And then yeah. you go back, you finish I, your- No, I think I, I I asked to go back. I asked to take a leave of absence and to come back in a year. And then I ultimately didn't ever want to go back. You didn't so, finish your master's at Oxford? I got, they have uh, a math, they have MST, which is a master of studies, which you get after a year. And I mm. got that. Then if you stay another year, you get an MPhil, master of philosophy, which is like an advanced master's, which I did not get. And then if you stay another three or four years, you get a DPhil, which is basically our PhD. So I got like the lowest- a, like beginner stage masters. So it's useless. Completely useless. Yeah. <laughs> I've done nothing with it. I've never once, you know. For, what was it? Myth and rituals, you said? Ritual and myth in Amazonia. But that's interesting stuff. It was great stuff. I loved it. I had a great time there. I had a blissful year there. I was doing comedy in the evenings. I was having these like really, really fun um, lectures and study groups in the daytime. It was blissful. It was really, really great. When did you go to Israel? When I was 20. So I went there doing my junior year abroad. Oh, so that's before that. Yeah. So now, all right, so you got the bug. You're doing Andy Kaufman stuff. Move to New York. Okay. Go into the universe that you're kind of hovering around, the Luna Lounge, Monday night's Luna Lounge universe. Heavyweights, you know, Todd Berry. Sure. Guys I really love. uh, Rick Shapiro. Yeah. Sarah Silverman, Mm -hmm. Janine Garofalo, Louie would do stuff. Tons of other people. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, Slovan and Allen, Mm -hmm. I thought were really funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was sort of the scene, and it was hot. Where were you living? I was living. I was subletting uh, on Craig's, or I, I don't know if Craig's. I was. I don't even know how I did this, but I was subletting place to place. So for a while, I lived on First and First. I lived there longest, and then uh, I would just hop around. For yeah, a long time. so you were East Side guy. Yeah, East Village yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's, oh yeah, East Village. I was at Second and B between A and B. Something. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was something, right? Yeah, like it was packed on Monday night. It was crazy. It was fun yeah. down there. You know, it's, I don't know if it doesn't feel the same anymore down there. I'm so removed from the scene. I don't know what's going on. No, but I mean, just I don't like the area. Oh, doesn't the area, feel the same sure. anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you know, there, there was still sort of like the tail end of whatever happened in the 70s and 80s. You know, it was sort of like there was still, it felt gritty still. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel gritty anymore. No. Almost anywhere there. No. Uh, all right. So, but you're not doing stand up? I didn't see you do stand up, did I? Are you doing it in New York? I don't know if you saw it. I would do, I, I would do it like once every, I would have to wait like five months to get back on the stage at Luna Lounge. Did you ever meet Eugene Merman at well, that you, time? Eugene, I know well. I actually started doing stand-up, like really like my own stand-up at, in Boston at a comedy studio. At his, in the his place, yeah. And, and he hosted the the uh, Friday night show. When did you do that? Uh, so yeah, there. Was, I mean, I'm not going, there was like a six month period between when I dropped out of Oxford and when I moved to New York and I lived in Boston with my parents. So right when you got back from Britain. Exactly. And that Friday night scene was fun too. It was Eugene and Brendan Small. Yeah. Was doing I love stuff. Brendan. And this guy named Patrick Borelli. I know him. And, um, L- Louis would come, mm-hmm. uh, up from New York every now and then. It was, it was a fun night. It was good. Yeah. It wasn't there when I was there. So, so do you and Eugene speak Russian together? 
Uh, I think we've exchanged a few Russian words together. Yeah. Mm. Is his family from uh, similar places? Your family in Russia? Did you I, ever have that conversation with him? I'm sure I did, but I don't remember. He's did, from Lexington, Mass, which is really close. And my mom knows all the Russians in Boston, so she knows. She knows the Mermans. She knows the story. I just don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> she knows all the Russians in Boston. She's a social butterfly. She like kind of arranges all these like charity events and stuff. She knows wow. everybody. All right, so when did you make the first movie? At what point? So you didn't stick with stand-up, obviously. No. You had bigger ambitions. I had bigger ambitions, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was working as a caterer. And then uh, this guy who I went to Oxford with um, was editing corporate videos and industrial videos and karaoke videos. And he's like, do you want want me to... It's like a small post house, like five Uh or six people. He's like, do you want me to see if I can get you a job here? And he said it's you know it pays better than catering. It's also more interesting, and mm-hmm. it's also a daytime job, so you can go and do your thing at night. And I did, and I loved it. I was editing rubbish, but it was absolutely fascinating. So you learned how to edit there. I learned how to edit. I edited hundreds of karaoke videos, and uh, <laughs> I don't even know what those are. Well, you know, this is sort of more back in the day, but you would kind of go to a karaoke bar, and there'd be like these cheesy videos of couples holding hands while they're walking on a beach in the sunset. And, oh, those what yeah. they play behind the song. Somebody has to cut those together. Oh, you really? Yeah, that's hilarious. Some, they don't just come out of the box that way. No, someone has to. Some guy do that work. There's a narrative there. Yeah, you did some, fun, some of your greatest work. Is someone, in you probably have seen my work. Sure, maybe your listeners may have seen mm-hmm. my work. Um, but that was sort of my film school. I mean, I, I fell in love with the editing. I fell in love. They had like a few cameras and cheap microphones, and I went off and made my first movie with with their stuff. And it's about it's called the whole story, and it's about a karaoke video editor who has bigger dreams. How'd that movie do? Good, I think. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think it's in many ways it's the movie I'm proudest of. But like, it, I care the most about you, you how wrote it turned it out. And you shot it. I wrote it directly. No budget. Yeah, it took me two years. I didn't know what I was doing. We shot it in Minnesota, and then we'd have to like fake it in New Hampshire and stuff. It, it took forever. It took two, two and a half years to finish. And I was editing in my parents' basement. I moved back in with my parents because I just went ran out of money. And uh, and I really cared about that movie. Like I haven't. I, so you left slump. New York yeah. with the with the raw goods, with the tapes? Yeah, with the DV, mini DV tapes, yeah. And I went up to Boston and I spent, yeah, about two, two and a half years in, in the hole huh. in my in my parents' basement. Were you doing stand-up then? No, no. You, you were just kind of... Going a little nuts, yeah, and just editing the stuff and... Uh, we smoking cigarettes? No. no weed? A little bit of weed, yeah. Drinking? Yeah. Maybe I've never been a big drinker, but maybe a little bit. I was seeing a girl. Uh, I was, oh, I was in right. a relationship, and that yeah, I, I she think, was up there. Yeah, she. I yeah, she that was helps. up there. That she helps. was in Jamaica playing. That really helped. Oh, it would have been impossible without that. Yeah, absolutely impossible. Still friends with her? No, but mm. she lives right near me in Williamsburg. I see her sometimes. Oh, really? Is yeah. it weird? No, no, that's good. So you finish that movie, and then what? What are you doing? You go back to New York. I finished that movie. Um, and what are your parents thinking now? Like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. In a huge, Russian accident. Yeah. My mom has been always so supportive and patient. And my dad is, um, he just, you know, he's, I understand his position now, but he was like very nervous about me. He thought, they you get know, worried about your I wasn't security. Making, yeah. I wasn't making any money. I was to- toiling away in the, yeah. you know, in the basement type of thing. So, yeah, they were nervous. I had to borrow some money to move to New York and get another Again. shitty apartment. Yeah, like kind of back to where you After were. After you finished a movie. After, but the movie did okay. Like, you know, obviously it didn't make any money, but it like it played, 
enough festivals for me to feel like it wasn't a total failure. Right. But you know what? I, I like really was excited about every festival, like the Sedona International Film Festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yeah. pumped. Yeah. And I'd go there a week early and plaster the town in flyers. And I was just so excited. And you're starring in the movie. Yeah, starring. I did everything on that movie. And then and I met all of these people um, through the festival circuit that that was the best part of it because they became really close friends. That became my, my new sort of social circle uh-huh. in New York, all these sort of indie filmmakers in New York. And since then, we've collaborated on millions of movies. And that, that, I, have a, I have a life because of, because of the people that I met. On, on the whole story. On the, on the festival circuit of the whole story, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so that, that was good. So you did, you've done, what, five features on your own? Mm-hmm. I, di- I didn't see any of them. Yeah. Is that I, wrong? No, I think you're, I apologize. You're, in a, you're in a vast majority. Huh? Vast no, but I got to go look for him because this interview happened pretty quickly and I don't know if I would have known about him. Woodpecker, what was that about? That was about two bird watchers looking for a bird that was thought to be extinct but apparently is flying around the swamps of eastern Arkansas based on true events that happened in Arkansas. So the what the whole story is not what it's about but what we try to do with it is we basically injected a fictitious character in a fictitious story into a, a fictitious character into a real life situation yeah so there's a weird lake in Minnesota that didn't freeze over in the winter despite the fact that hundreds of surrounding lakes are coated in three to four feet of ice so we threw like a real person with a real uh, sorry a fake person me with a fake backstory into this real situation and we did the same thing in we I did the same thing in woodpecker there's this real search for this real bird the ivory billed woodpecker mm-hmm. and we just I found these two actors that I really liked and we just injected them into this real life search that was happening mm-hmm. and um, and I was really excited about that about that at the time when I made the whole story it felt like a kind of a semi new semi unexplored terrain and then Borat came out not long afterwards mm-hmm. which you're basically injecting a fictitious character into real events mm-hmm. and they did it way better and way more spectacularly and funny then, Were you uh, trying to be funny? Yeah, but in a more like slow and meditative and existential way. Like this guy like cries in the movie. He goes on these sort of like, you know, there's these little like, sad montages. And then you did Trust Us. It's all made. This That's is the all documentary. Made. Yeah. Right, and then what's Rubberneck about? Rubberneck is, is the only movie that I made that isn't really a comedy. It's about, uh, it's a psychological thriller about a scientist in Boston who slowly unravels because he can't get over this girl. He's completely obsessed over her. They and you wrote a- and directed that? Wrote, directed, and acted. Yeah, he has this tryst with this uh, coworker. She's beautiful, out of his league. She was wasted. She just kind of surrendered herself at this office Christmas party, and she like basically said that that was a mistake. It's not going to happen again. He just can't get over it, and it's it's like Chinese water torture every day at work. He sees her. She's pretty. She's not. She's sort of. She's not reciprocating his infatuation. Does he kill her? It gets ugly. Is on Netflix. No, I think that movie's still streaming. Rubberneck. My, my first three movies were streaming, and then they made them DVD only, which means like no one ever watches them anymore. But, red, I, th- but red, I think Rubberneck is streaming. Red Flag? Red Flag is streaming, yeah. That's my last movie. Are you in that too? Yeah. You're in all of them? I'm not in Woodpecker, and I'm not in Trust Us. Right. What's Red Flag about? It's about uh, basically a caricatured version of myself. When mm. w- I made Woodpecker a few years ago, and there's this organization that puts these obscure movies on tours of the South where you play like these small little art house theaters. So I w- w- agreed to go on the tour because it's flattering to show your movie anywhere. Mm-hmm. But the thought of kind of sh- going on a two week tour in the South and playing these small venues was really, I wasn't excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was dreading the loneliness of the allure of the American highway has evaporated for me, you know, like, yeah, well, it's a, like the interstate is not an exciting place. No. So even I, the, even the country roads have become less exciting. 
Um, I wasn't I wasn't um, looking forward to the to being alone by myself for two weeks, driving from one rinky dink place to another and staying in crappy motels. So I try to make a story about a filmmaker on tour showing his movie and Red Flag is about that. It's about a guy showing a movie that he no longer really is attached to emotionally. These all so, they all sound so good I have to watch them. Some of them, yeah, you should watch some of them. But you know, like what you do in your show, like I play a, in a lot of these movies anyway, I play, uh, if this is fair, I feel for you, I feel like I play a caricatured version of myself. Yeah. And uh, and that's sort of, you know, the comedic thing that we reverberate off in most of these. But it looks like you did a lot of, of, of acting in small films. Yeah. Now, were you ever, are you considered to be part of a movement? Are you part of a mumblecore movement? Like, it's it's a really sloppy term in some ways it's just such a wide umbrella there's so many different types of movies that could be who are some of the directors you work with well i think like the the, the one of the people who are labeled in the mumble mumblecore camp most probably is a guy named andrew bujalski which is a great filmmaker out of austin yeah and that the first thing i acted in after the whole story was his movie yeah which is called beeswax so i think because of him if i have any affiliation to mumblecore it's because of that movie all right so i emailed lena today I said I was going to interview you. Did she email you back? Yeah. You want me to read it? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, she said, uh, <laughs> here we go. She emailed me back immediately. She said, I met him as he was wandering drunk across the road in Austin, Texas in the morning. I was hungover. I wasn't drunk. <laughs> it's a big difference. And she capitalized, morning. <laughs> what? It's true. I mean, like a lot of the people that I've ended up working with and, and um, you know, yeah. collaborating in some way, I met at film festivals. She was there with her first movie that she made before Tiny Furniture. And I was there with Trust Us, my third movie. And yeah, I was, I guess, crossing a road and a mutual friend of ours named Bob Byington was driving his car and, uh, and he pulled over because we're friends and Lena was in the car and he gave me a lift, like literally one block. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talked to Lena for a moment and I was just immediately impressed by her. Mm-hmm. This is a 22 or 23 year old girl with a feature length film, a very personal feature length film at a major film festival and mm-hmm. she's really just funny and She's impressive. Cool. She, but immediately impressive. Yeah. And so um, so I got her information and we kept in touch. We did DVD swaps like she showed me all her all the stuff that she's done, Delusional Downtown Divas and these, these web series that she did beforehand uh-huh. and we um, just became fans of each other. And she put you in tiny furniture. Yeah, later that year in November, that I met her in March at South by, and then in November she, uh, she, yeah, she wrote a partner for me in tiny furniture. That's so sweet. She's the sweetest, and she's championed you ever since. She's a real sweetheart. And it seems like the role of Ray in Girls is is kind of close to you. It's not a caricature, is it? It, it feels well. You've seen the show, right? Yeah, and you've talked to me for an hour. It feels so you, genuine. You tell me. It does. It feels close to you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I feel like he reminds me a lot of who I was like five or six years ago. Okay. I think rather like when I think of him, like I don't really think like oh he's like a little bit like this guy and he's a little bit like Gary right. and a little bit of Brian. No, it's just like mostly me, but five years ago, right. like nurturing a lot of unresolved issues, negotiating with a pain in a way that he doesn't know how to make constructive, mm-hmm. um, overthinking things to a detrimental degree, getting in relationships that aren't going to move him forward emotionally or spiritually. So you're all, this is stuff you're all beyond now. That was five years ago, you. I, I, I just con- talked to you for an hour. I haven't <laughs> conquered it, but I hope I made some fucking progress. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. What are you, sad now? Reflective. Yeah. Meditative. What are you thinking? Just looking over my life, you know, where I was when I was 33, 32, which is where 
I kind of look at Ray. It's like a 32-year-old Kropofsky. What do you mean you're doing good? What, what no, you no, I'm making not. Movies oh, I'm not singing any sad song or, or I'm, right. I'm not throwing just, a pity party. I'm just, you're just trying I'm reflecting. To, you're trying to convince yourself that you're different now, much different. I've evolved. What, what, what's the indicator of that? I don't Maybe Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I haven't grown. <laughs> I have no fucking I'm not, evidence. I'm not, I'm not trying to corner you. <laughs> Look, I feel like I've grown, and I think I have. What are, what are indicators? Maybe if you tell me your indicators, I'll know what to look for. I don't freak out about the same shit I used to. I freak out about less shit. Okay. And, uh, you know, I feel like I can... Um, I take it a little easier on myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can usually stop myself from engaging in the type of panic or anxiety that I used to, you know, that used to just happen naturally. Because I was very in my head and very paranoid and, you know, and defensive and weird. And, like, when I really look look back on the things I used to obsess over, I don't do it anymore. Those things. And what was the greatest aid in that um, evolution? Trying to stay in the present, real, trying to figure out the difference between reality and what I'm manufacturing in my head, either voluntarily or not. But in a practical sense, how did you go about obtaining that perspective? Through therapy, through meditation? Well, I mean, I've, no, not meditation, but you know, I was in recovery and a lot of those ideas uh, uh, resonate. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of like engaging with other people and helping them to get out of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, saying things like, what color is the rug? to get myself mm-hmm. into the present. Mm-hmm. Therapy, I didn't do for a long time. It was scattered. Uh, recently, I've, I've done some therapy, and that's but helpful. But I think most of it has just been you know hard knocks Yeah, and, and staying sober. But really just trying to be like, you know, is this a real fear? What are you doing? Why are you freaking out? Do, are you making this up? Is, some, is your brain making this up? Mm. Can, we, can we turn it off? Yeah, if if that's an indicator, and I think it is, uh, I do think I'm I'm much less prone to get lost in a stress spiral yeah. than I was a few years ago. Yeah, and I have a, a slightly more uh, well fitting, a slightly tighter grip on gratitude. Gratitude is very important. Yeah, and I think that's something that I was completely oblivious to when I was. Grat- if you don't, if you don't like check in with gratitude, you your people are going to find you irritating. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because like, it's sort of like everything's going for good for you. Nah, I got things to do. Yeah, yeah. You and I did a movie together. I know, Sleepwalk. Right, but we had no scenes together. None. But I saw you, and I'm like that guy. You saw me when when the movie was made. Well, I saw you in a uh, like like I don't think we had met. Why 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 the scowl when you say that guy? Because you look familiar. Mm. You look familiar to me, and like I know like there was that immediate. My immediate feeling was like, why didn't he cast a comic as a comic? Right. And then it was like, who's this comic supposed to be? I know comics. I don't know this guy. And then I was like, oh, but he's pretty good. He's a good actor. And then I saw you on, I think probably on, it was around the first season of Girls, right? I'm like, there's that guy. It's his time. (laughs) He's doing it. That guy's doing it. I mean, there were plenty, not plenty, but there were a handful of cameo comics in that movie. I think he just didn't want to sort of carpet bomb the place with like, you know, real comics playing comics. I think he wanted to kind of intersperse it, intersperse it. I guess right. there was a few around playing comics, you know, but and also I, I thought I thought it was good to use an actor, and I think I think you did a good job. How, so. how did you like being? So you're on our show this year, yeah, with right? you. Yeah, my scenes are with you. Can we talk about that? Well, okay, what do you want to talk about? 
I want to talk about how you felt working on the show. And was it fun for you? Yeah, I was very excited. Um, I was excited to do it. I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, when I got there, I, I was hoping that I didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't know if I should shave my face. You know, how we're going to make me look less me. You had a really bush. Was your mustache bushier? Maybe I comb. Yeah. I did his comb over. Yeah. which I think was relatively effective. Yeah. And they sort of unhipsterized my clothing. Yeah. And, you know, it was good. It was loose and, you know, the improvisational element was good. And I think the character was right for me. Yeah. And I think you and I had a good time riffing. I had a great time riffing with you. Yeah. yeah. It was really fun. And that the whole sort of city council thing, the borough council, that all those other actors, once we all started, once they kept letting us go, mm-hmm. it got kind of exciting. Did you do research? Did you watch no. YouTube videos about um, council board meetings? No. No. Well, don't be so offended by the question. No, I'm not offended. I just, uh, like, I, I knew, like, I could tell by the tone of the script that, you know, he was sort of, you know, territorial and over it, but kind of dug in. Yeah. And and I knew that, uh, you know, my my particular energy or what I've been honing my whole life as a, not an actor, but as a human, would fit this guy. Right. You were cast for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had a great time. I you know, like like anybody. Like I'm very grateful that I was part of it. I would have liked the entire episode to be about me and you. Sure. Because then we. But you know. But that's just me being greedy. I'd like to try to do more acting. But uh, but then they brought me back for. Then you right. actually run for my position. Now let's not be a spoiler. But yeah. Who but, knows? But how your your character is basically a uh, lazy and corrupt incumbent. And uh, I, 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 I saw him differently. I, you what? saw <laughs> That's what you are. Okay. And basically, I uh, I let um, you know I let everyone know yeah. the, the the real. What's your character's name? I don't remember. Not me either. Corrupt. Yeah, like you got you kind of yeah. You're you're a corrupt incumbent. You got some parking space bullshit, right? I can't remember all the details. But I, mean, yeah. I don't know if it's corruption. I think maybe he took a little bit of advantage of his position, but okay. I think at the level that he was operating at, it was, you know, maybe he he he, you know, mis- abused his power a bit. That's yeah, the that's, small power that he had. That's corruption. That's a, that's basically a corruption. Right. Well, this is your self righteous character that is very exciting. This idealistic. Um, guy that just wants to do good by himself in the community yeah he he has a lot of he's driven to some degree by ideological endeavors but he also is uh, nurturing a tremendous um heap of inner demons and yeah. all, and oftentimes you know that gets in the way of his ideological pursuits mm-hmm. most of the time it certainly does later on in the in the season well i'm excited i'm excited about it what else are you doing you doing a movie I came uh, this this uh, week. I did the new Coen Brothers movie. They're one of my favorite filmmakers. I'd love to work with those guys. Never never done it. No, I don't. No one thinks of me as an actor, really. Sad. It is a little sad. Yeah. I'd like to do more. I auditioned for a Coen, Coen Brothers movie. Which one? I auditioned for a Serious Man for the lead. Did you really? Uh huh. I never got anywhere. I just had casting agents. Were they in the room when you no, auditioned? No, I was just. I didn't make it that far. But you were in their last one. I remember you on a couch with a wife. Yeah, it's nice to be a, at an Asian wife. It's nice to be uh, invited back, you know? You d- and they're out here doing it? Yeah, that's what I was saying. So this week they're shooting a movie called Hail Caesar um, here in L.A. And it's in 1950. Mm-hmm. Really funny script. Kind of more wacky and zany than their last movie. More they do that sometimes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, and I got to play one of the roles. That's great. What's it about? It's about uh, a fixer 
played by Josh Brolin in 1950 Hollywood and just putting out one fire after another in the like studio. Like a studio set. fixer? Yeah, studio fixer. Ah. And Clooney is one of the studio actors and he gets embroiled into mm-hmm. a situation that uh, needs fixing. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like Josh Brolin. Who is your scene with? Clooney. All oh. week with Clooney. Really? It's fun. That's amazing. Yeah. Not just me and him. Me, him, and like you know, a group of other people. But yeah? Yeah. How's the good guy? Great guy. Like, generally a great guy. Like, yeah. uh, it's easy to kind of say everyone's great. But, like, he's like, he's like, he would never go to the trailer. He would always, like, hang out with us, you know, between breaks and show us, like, these really, like, elaborate pranks on YouTube on his iPhone and stuff and just joke around. And <laughs> yeah. He's just, like, a really, really, like, easygoing dude. I like that dude. guy. Yeah, me great too. Great movie star. He's a great movie star. Great movie star. Classic. Yeah. I know, right? That's what I'm about to say. He's a classic movie star. They can still exist. He's, like, he's one of them. Yeah. Brolin's pretty good too. I don't know if he, like he he's a he seems to have some demons, but I think he looks great on screen. Yeah, he does look great on screen. But like Clooney's also making movies. He's involved in all these other no, sort of humanitarian the guy. projects. No, love the guy. He's big, big deal. Yeah, yeah. He's the, and, and and is humble. I think he's very yeah, humble. Yeah, he's the he's the guy. He's yeah. the he's the movie star. Yeah, he's it. They, on the Golden Globes, they just gave say, yeah. him the, the award for being an amazing movie star. Amazing guy. <laughs> Yeah, the lifetime achievement for being amazing. That sounds like a great. Uh, I'd like to interview those guys. I'd like to work with them. I'd I like don't to know. Do some they don't acting. like to talk. No, I know it's fine. Yeah, directors are hard to get, yeah. and they're the guys that have the most to talk about sometimes. Yeah, like you're a director. You got that means you're well versed. Yeah, in things you think about. What do you think the high point of this conversation was? I think we started strong. I think we started really strong. Um, I enjoyed. For me, I enjoyed talking about. Um, where my separation anxiety went. I mean, this is right out of the gate. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking about marijuana. Um, See, for me, the editing karaoke films, I enjoyed that. Oh, you enjoyed that, yeah. But I That's kind of a dark part of my life, so I guess I didn't enjoy it for that reason. Mm. But we didn't, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really cover, what do you fill this separation anxiety with now? You said sometimes you just fill it somehow. What are you filling it with? What do you do with that terror? Well, it's replaced by death anxiety. And I think everything, this red flag Death anxiety is always there. I know, but 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 like, you know, like everything that I'm doing is some sort of reverberation or negotiation with this anxiety, and it's, all of us are doing. All it. of us are doing it, and I think it's <laughs> unhelpful to be conscious of it to a large degree. That you're negotiating with your death anxiety, just to be thinking about it. Um, no, I think it's I horrible. think I think you know it's uh it's in it's in people's subconscious for a reason. It stays there for a reason, largely there for a reason. And uh, most of my life's work is about what you're talking about. Negotiation oh. with your death anxiety. Sure. Yeah, you and Phil Stutz really got into it. Well, yeah, you, it's interview. like the denial of death stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, one thing I can't do think about organs. Can't do it. Can't think about kidneys, livers. Have a real problem when I start thinking about organs working. Why? What happened? Working. Think about your know. pancreas right now. What's happening? Well, I don't know. I don't know what it's doing, but I hope it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I don't know what it, I don't I don't know where it even is on my body. Yeah, I can't locate the pancreas. But it, but if something's wrong with it, you are fucked. I know, like really fucked. See, this is exactly that. Steve Jobs, I think, died of a pancre- pancreatic condition. I think. But yeah, you, I just don't. All the money in the world. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't do that thing. Yeah, we talked about another high point for me was talking about gratitude mm. and that being sort of a need litmus to do it more need to do it more of growth and mm. um emotional and personal I'm not as grateful as i should be i go on gratitude walks uh every two weeks mm. for about an hour mm-hmm. and i think a lot about my health and i get a lot of airtime goes to my organs i really do think about my organs mm. 
not the whole time. Wait, but and what, how do you think about them? I'm grateful that my liver works. I'm oh, grateful yeah. that my kidneys work, that my pancreas works. I'm grateful that my GI works. I'm grateful that my dick works. I'm grateful that my lungs work, my heart works. I'm just grateful. And it's so easy to forget it. Do you so thank God? Uh, sometimes I feel like, like there's like, I don't know if I use those words or kind right. of um, look upwards, but I right. feel like, the, you know, that's, that's it's, it's in the ballpark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the, the spiritual ballpark. Yeah. The, yeah. The looking upwards. In gratitude for your your vessel it's operating easy, properly. It's easy to forget how lucky one can be. Fine way to close. Thanks. Thank you, Alex. That was Alex Karpovsky. I enjoyed talking to him. He's a bright guy. Interesting story. I may not be a great actor, but I definitely committed. And there's a couple of episodes this year that are pretty intense. And uh, I really let myself go, and I really immerse myself in this thing. That's the only thing I, I know how to do, is just go all in. Go all in. So, look forward to that. Boomer lives! Boomer lives!